everybody, it's Dimity here with the Train Like a Mother Club, and we are super excited to have a live Q&A session today with the uh, expert and awesome coach, Liz Waterstrat, who is, um, along with Jenny Harrison, the uh, coaches in our triathlon and our Running by Heart Rate programs in the Train Like a Mother Club. Um, we are here to talk about running by heart rate. We have um, three different programs with three different distances. We have the 10K, we have the half marathon, and we have the marathon for race distances. And then we also have another program called Running by Heart Rate and Introduction. So we have all those people here. Um, so if you guys have questions along the way, feel free to either raise your hand or type in a question. We can help along the way. I've also pulled a bunch of questions from the Facebook pages. So we'll have a discussion that way as well. And um, looking forward to it. How's it going out in Chicago, Liz? It's hot. It's hot. I know. Well, that's a that's our first topic of conversation because dang it, you know, that um, this happens every year and yep. the running slows down and people get frustrated. So tell us kind of how you personally put the heat and humidity in perspective and how you help your athletes do that. Well, the first thing I remind people to do is just to adjust your expectations. So on these hot, humid heat index of 100 days, you're not going to go out there and see your normal paces, your normal uh, heart rates, or have your normal perceived effort. So everything needs to be adjusted down. So, okay. so you're, you know, meaning like you need to lower, your, lower the bar, lower the expectations. Uh, and keep in mind that it's normal for your pace to slow by 15 to, to 30 seconds per mile, if not more your heart rate will probably be elevated. Even if you're acclimated, you're still going to have some elevation of heart rate because of the heat stress. Um, and everything's just gonna feel harder in the heat. So, so just adjusting expectations for all of that. Okay, um, and actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, you guys, uh, actually you put together this great, I, I wanted it almost to be A to Z guide to troubleshooting your heart rate, but there was, zebras <laughs> definitely do not, uh, that's, that's the only thing I can think of, or zephyrs, maybe a really tough wind could maybe affect your heart rate, but um, now when everybody comes into this program, it is on the same page as your training plan, so if this is news to you, it's a, gosh, probably eight to ten page document where we literally list all the different things that can affect your heart rate, everything from alcohol down to hydration, um, like water is the W I was thinking of. I can't think of what the last one was, but heat and humidity rank high there, right? So again, adjusting your expectations. Some other ones that kind of popped out to me um, were hormones or your menstrual cycle. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that tends to affect people's um, heart rate? Yes, so this, this tends to show up when women start to enter their late 30s, early 40s, this is where I feel like it becomes more significant or people start to notice it. But you'll probably notice that when you're halfway through your cycle, so there's, there's two phases to your cycle. There's the follicular phase and then there's the luteal phase. So the follicular phase is usually those first two weeks. Everything is getting ready to prepare that egg for, for being you know, basically released. Um, sure. And so, so because of the hormonal changes that happen at that time to prepare for that, it's not unusual for your heart rate to be elevated a little bit more than usual. Um, you might feel that everything is, is a little bit harder than usual. Your heat tolerance might change. So just know that, you know, it's not a bad idea to keep track of where you're at in your cycle uh, and how you're feeling. Because I find that like feeling these things is okay, but it's so reassuring to know that, oh, this is my normal, you know, once a month for three days, 
I feel like I'm, I'm sweating a lot more and I need more carbohydrates and my heart rate's higher. So, so it's good to keep track of those patterns and know you're normal. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and then that day after it comes, I mean, it's like oh, the yeah. heavens have opened, right? It's like you know, <laughs> the meeting, you know, it's a huge, a huge storm is coming. And then all of a sudden you're just like, Oh my God, I feel so light and fast and easy. And, yes. You know, everything feels, you don't feel easy, but everything feels easy. Well, and, and some women feel really tired at that time. So, okay. so every woman's response is, is totally individual. So it's just about knowing what's normal for you and, and just kind of planning around that. You know, if you have a key workout and you know you're coming up to your three days where you feel really bad, just shift your schedule around and, and you know, don't do anything significant on those days. Sure, sure. Um, and then the other one, and this has come up a little bit in the, um, the Facebook pages that we have for these programs, is, is stress. And how much, you, you know, your body does not know the difference between the stress that you put it on it versus running versus, a, you know, speed bump in your relationship or a hard work week or your kids are having troubles or whatever it is, whatever is, you know, kind of bringing constantly on your mind, right? Um, right. And can you talk a little bit about that and how to mitigate that? Because often, you know, the running is the release, right? So it's right. like, you know, I'm having troubles with my son right now. Well, all I want to do is go for a run and then I'll feel better about it. But in fact, the troubles with my son have kept me up at night or whatever, yeah. you know? So how do you, how do you handle that? You know, that one's complicated and, and you could go two different ways. I mean, if, if you had really bad sleep and you're just feeling really bad, then, then just go easy on yourself. Know that this is a high stress time and, and your body is not dealing with it very well, but it's dealing with it in a very normal way. You know, you've got the adrenaline, the cortisol, your heart rate's up and everything just feels overwhelming. You probably have a headache. So it's okay to just say, hey, just me getting outside the door today and putting one foot in front of the other is okay. Other times, like if, if you're like, okay, I'm in this high stress situation, but I'm gonna harness that energy and use it. You get out there, you start running, and you're like, all right, my heart rate's high, I'm under stress, but I feel okay, so just channel it and, and use it. You know, if, if you have like a, a track workout that day, just get out there and, and use it and, and just see how you feel. So, so I mean, I, you know, my answer, it's, it's, it's two different ways there, but it, yeah. it's okay to go easy on yourself and just say, I'm gonna just, just run. Um, but if you're feeling like I, want to use this and, 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 and just let it all out and, and your body's giving you the sign that, all right, we're okay with it, then I, I would say go for that too. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously it's a case by case situation. I mean, I think the biggest thing that um, is so much easier to say than do, especially when you're given a yeah. training plan in front of you that says, go do these eight intervals or go run in this zone or go do that. And you're going to say, you know what? In fact, I'm going to take an easy day because mm -hmm. we are pretty much type A compliant people as runners. That's, that's who tends to be drawn to the sport. So, um, I guess, you know, so the, this is your coach saying you can have an easy day and it's all good. Yeah. Day, right. Right. You, you can never go wrong by just running easy. You, you won't get off track. You won't lose fitness. You won't ruin the whole plan. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with just getting out there and running. The training plan is, is just a guideline. Like if, if you're feeling good and everything lines up and you have intervals, go do your intervals. But if it's a, a bad day and you're like, I just want to get out and run, then just go run easy. Nice. Nice. Okay. Let's talk a little bit. Um, and again, we've had people join us since um, we started. You guys, we have a chat button at the bottom and we also have a, an ability to raise your hand. And I got to say earlier this morning, I was on one with um, 
Elizabeth's partner in crime, Jenny, we did a triathlon one and, um, and someone raised their hand about fueling in the half Ironman. And it was such a great discussion and so helpful, I think both for obviously the athlete, but also people listening. So if you have something you want to talk about, this is a really, really good time. I, you know, I'm not encouraging you to, to talk just to talk, but uh, you know, if, if you're feeling shy, try to step away from that and, and, and raise your hand. So anyway, okay, so we're going to talk about some zones. Um, and this is from Donna. She says progression runs. So progression runs are, can you explain what a progression run is first of all? Because there's two questions about them. So the gist of the progression run is you are just getting progressively stronger as the run goes on. So your effort is increasing. So, you know, think of it like step up. So if you're doing an hour run, the first 15 minutes is easy. The next 15 is steady. Then the next 15 is moderate. And the last 15 would be strong. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, and so Donna is doing this progression run. Um, she has trouble keeping steady in zone two, which is kind of that moderate nice place to land, right? It's not mm -hmm. terribly hard, but it's not terribly easy either. Um, any hints on staying in this zone? Um, so, so here's the deal. As you're newer to a heart rate training plan, it's, it's not too hard to get into zone two, and then it becomes a matter of staying out of zone three. As you get more into the training plan, it actually becomes harder to get into and hold zone two. So, so I guess my question would be, is she finding it difficult to just stay there or is she feeling like she's drifting into zone three and it's harder she, to hold back? Yeah, she is. I think that she, um, I think that she's, my guess is that she's getting into zone three too quickly. Um, okay. So she's wondering, should she, if she can't stay in zone two, is it better to bump up to zone three? or slide back to zone one. Okay. Um, she doesn't want to go too fast though. All right, so first I would start a little bit easier, you know, okay. in the run in general, just start easier. And then if you're getting into upper zone two and you're crossing over into lower zone three, like three to four beats into it, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's not an exact science. A few heartbeats here and there is okay. What we don't want to see is she's going from zone one and then all of a sudden she's sitting in high zone three. Sure. And, and then, and then just kind of sitting in that stale, you know, moderate zone, um, without making those separate progressions from this is zone one then this is zone two and then this is zone three. Okay. So, um, so if, if she has to err on one side or the other, I mean, are you erring on, you just want to, I mean, when you're having trouble threading the needle, do you just kind of yeah. do, do what you need to do to stay in that zone that day? If it's walking, if it's speeding up, whatever it needs to be. Um, tricky question. Yeah. I would say, um, like put the heart rate aside and okay. just focus on the pace. So think of it in terms of, like I said, like if it's an hour run and it's a progression run, just making sure that those first 15 minutes are slow. And then the next 15 minutes, you're seeing a drop of, let's say 10 to 20 seconds per mile. And then when she's supposed to be in that next progression, seeing another drop. So, you know, you, you kind of have to cross check all these different features. Sure. And so I would just say that, you know, if she finds that she's having trouble with the zone two, zone three crossover, then just like focus more on the pace and just be like, okay, I'm going to make sure that my pace was a little bit faster than zone one, but I have to make sure that I still have some reserve. So when I do have to step it up into that next progressive level, I can still drop pace. 
Does okay. that help? Yeah, definitely. And so just to emphasize, I mean, you explain it like that. I mean, it really is going to be key to start slower than you think you should go, right? So you have room to grow, right? Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, and the other thing too, I mean, focusing on pace, and I'm just thinking about what we just talked about, which is heat and humidity and how that throws off your pace and throws off your efforts. So could you also focus a little, put a, a, a shine a light on your perceived effort and you want to be maybe at a, you know, a three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or whatever. Exactly. You no, know, crank it up as the run gets harder. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because sometimes I think pace can, I don't know, it's, it's wrought it, with yeah, anxiety. Yeah. It's hard because of the weather and the terrain and how you're feeling. So it, you, you just, you have like all these different tools available to you. So you have your GPS and you have your heart rate and you have your perceived effort. So it's just about, you know, figuring out on which day, which of those variables feels like the best one to follow given the goal of the workout. So it's okay to be flexible there. Okay. Awesome. All right. Here's another progression one question, progression run question. Um, Angela did a 105 minute progression run. Um, so the last 15 minutes, which takes her back to zone one and two, that easy effort. Um, I couldn't get my heart rate down. So she just booked it. <laughs> and I said, yeah. I know, I know not the best choice. Was I supposed to walk? That felt super frustrating after that yeah. run. No, the, the goal there would just be to slow down and cool down and let your body kind of release some of the tension that it's built up in that last progressive segment. So it's going to be, especially when it's hot out, it's going to be really hard to bring your heart rate back down. And you might find that you're cooling down in zone three. And if you feel okay, that's okay. At that point, just slow the pace down bring your effort down. If you want to walk a little bit, that's okay. But at that point in the workout, it's okay to just say, all right, my heart rate, I'm just going to let that, that variable be for now and just finish easier. Okay. So it's really just a cool down time. So, and if yes. you do feel like walking, is that okay? Totally. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Sure. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. Okay. Um, so one of the things that is in these all these different programs is um, a retaking of your heart rate test, which is a 15 minute, for the most part, it's a 15 minute um, kind of progressive run, right? Where you kind of push yourself to mm -hmm. how high you can get your heart rate. Um, and um, Stacy says, uh, if you are, and you do that every four weeks in all these programs, sorry, I should have yeah. said that. If you are an experienced runner who has pushed your heart rate test and you feel like you know your limits, do you need to keep retaking the test? Um, I got the exact same results. And quite frankly, I'm not necessarily looking to, uh, increase my zone limits, she says with a smile. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you feel good with where you are, is there a reason to keep testing? Sure. Um, just to do a harder run and get the fitness benefit of it. Um, okay. Just to kind of put yourself in that race like situation. So I don't know about you, but when I see the word test, I get a little anxious, yes. you know? And so, <laughs> so it's not a bad idea to think of it like a little race simulation and manage your emotions and anxiety and, and the details going into it. So what am I eating and drinking going into this test? So I, I think it could be a really valuable workout. You might find that the data is not very interesting or important once you've done these enough times, um, but just the experience is. And you can always replace it with a 5K race, which is, you know, a, a, a true like race simulation. Even though your race might be much longer, nothing beats getting out there in a race and just pushing yourself. 
yeah, that's, those are really good points. Those are really good points. Um, and also, I mean, again, like I, I know um, once you kind of figure out your zones and once you have a, a really nice base of cardiovascular endurance, it doesn't change all that much. But if she went to go test, say two weeks from now at the end of July versus middle of October, are her numbers going to be like, does what the weather make that much of a difference on a test like that or not? It should. Yes. Okay. I, I think she would probably see her heart rate a little bit lower, her pace a little bit faster. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, th I think there would be a difference. Okay, cool. Um, Suzanne, I think this is a really interesting question. She had a question. Um, what are some indicators that you've reached your full potential with heart rate training? Uh, that's a great question. I I'm not, I'm not sure that there's an, a, a really good answer to that. Um, you know, I think about athletes reaching, reaching their full potential in general. Um, it, it's not that you're looking to keep pushing your heart rate higher and higher or uh -huh. get faster and faster. I guess when I think about full potential, it's like, can you run at your threshold or above it? Like, can you keep, can you keep getting better and better at that threshold number? Um, so I'm not sure that there is an upper limit to that. Sure. Sure. Does, does that make sense? It is a really interesting question. I might yeah. have to think more about it to have okay. a, a really uh, good answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was on the Facebook page. You're happy. You're welcome to obviously go in and, and, and comment, Liz, as you guys do. You guys are like snap, snap um, at answerers. And I realize that that's really bad English, but I'm just impressed <laughs> with the amount of knowledge that you impart in them. And then you guys are very oh, prompt thanks. and helpful. And I, um, I just, I really enjoy going back and seeing what, how you're coaching people. Um, I mean, one of the things I think about too, with, with Suzanne's question is, um, is that, uh, I don't know that you ever, I mean, yes, you reach your full athletic potential at some point, but there isn't a point where heart rate training isn't helpful or maybe I, you know, I mean, maybe that's the amateur athlete in me, but I always feel like having those guardrails against yeah. going too hard or going too easy or having workouts that are really clearly defined in what you want to, you know, how you want to execute a workout. I mean, I always think that that's helpful. I think the, the pro athletes do that, don't they? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've done this for over 20 years and I've always gone back to heart rate training. You know, it's, it's just something that is always valuable, whether you're coming back from an injury or you want to take your training to the next level or you're transitioning from summer to fall. I mean, it's just something you can always keep an eye on and, and know that, you know, I'm getting faster at a lower heart rate or, it's just, it's just, it's useful info. It's like that window of looking inside of you and saying, this is how your heart is responding to the stress that you're applying to it and, and the workouts. So I think it always gives useful information, which, which would never get old. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, Joe has a question on pacing. So she had her first long run with a few miles at goal pace yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and she's wondering how far off goal is okay. So first of all, there are um, runs at goal pace with a lot of these um, programs. Can you talk about how you find your goal pace? Like what's, what, what is the uh, procedure that you guys recommend to, to figure out your goal pace in a, in a best case scenario? Like they, they've raced in the past, what, six months and they raced the race, they pushed themselves. Yeah. So goal pace is hard because I think in our minds, we all have like our dream scenario. And then there's also reality based on where we're at now in the summer. And so, you know, I, it's, 
it's never a bad idea to take, like, let's say you've done a 5K. There's all sorts of calculators online where you can enter that 5K time and see, like, what's my best case scenario for a marathon or half marathon based on where I'm at now? Uh, and, and, or you can use that heart rate test. You know, you can take your, your pace for one mile. Um, you could take your pace for two miles, whatever you're covering in those 15 minutes and look at, okay, based on that pace, this is my best case scenario for where I'm at right now of what my goal pace could be. And so, you know, if you're doing a half marathon, your goal pace should feel moderate to up-tempo. If you're doing a marathon, it should feel sustainable, but not necessarily easy. Um, so you can kind of line up those, R, those rate of perceived uh, exertion guidelines. Um, and then you get out there and you try your goal pace. And let's say that she felt like, you know what, my goal pace was, it felt hard. Okay, so maybe right now just adjust that goal pace slower by 15 seconds per mile and see if you can get that perceived exertion to line up. And then over time you might say, okay, well now that goal pace feels too easy. So I'm gonna, you know, take those 15 seconds off again. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, it's constantly a work in progress. It's not like you start the program with a goal pace and then you're just gonna do that goal pace no matter what. I think it needs to evolve and you need to be flexible and adjust it, sometimes week by week. Sure, sure. So it's, a, it's another case of kind of trying to thread the needle a little bit, right? It's not like you can just say, it's, my goal pace is 915, sign still delivered, right? It doesn't work. Right. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I, like I said, you've got to look at where's my heart rate, what's my perceived exertion, and what's my pace. And getting all, like, getting into the run and saying, okay, what's best for me today? Do, do I want to go and try to nail those four miles at 915 pace, even though it feels really hard? Or do I just want to say, I'm going to do four miles at what feels like a moderate half marathon effort, and let's just see where pace is today. Sure, sure. Well, and so this question's a little, this might be a little too nebulous, but I'm curious, because um, it's something that I always struggled with when I was working hard at running. And, um, you know, I'm like, okay, this feels good. I want to hang here. Um, but I kind of feel like I need to have some mental skills to hang here, right? So, and I'm not necessarily talking about like running a pace that's really, really hard, but I often found that like trying to, 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 to stay consistent is a lot harder than it sounds, right? Like, okay, this is an easy effort, stay here. You know, I'm right in the zone that I wanna be. And then I look down five minutes later and I, my heart rate is rocketed. And I'm like, wait a second, I thought that I was trying to keep it easy here. Um, I mean, yeah. there, are there things that you do, Liz, to kind of check in with yourself or, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like there's got to be some kind of roll call or something that is helpful to maybe keep the status quo. So are you saying like the mental strategies of, of just maintaining pace or? Yeah, just maintaining pace. And, it's, and again, it doesn't have to be like a really hard race pace or just like an easy effort pace. I mean, is there a way to do it without constantly looking at your, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, just getting, you know, just like looking inward. So what's my breathing like? What does my form feel like? Can I, can I talk? And if you have no one there to talk to, talk to yourself or can you sing? Sometimes I'll be out there singing and being like, nope, this is not easy if sure. I can't be out here singing. So just checking in with yourself like that, especially for, for an easy pace, you know, thinking, is this truly easy where it's like low stress and, and I'm not showing any signs that I'm really working. Okay. Okay. I mean, does anyone else have that problem? I'm just curious. If you do, let me know. I mean, I, I may not have explained it as well as I am, but I just feel like, you know, when I get in a place that feels good, I should be able to maintain that. But somehow, 
feel like I'm just, I'm like an EKG chart. I'm like up, down, up, down, up, down. Right. Um, yeah. is that, is that normal? Would you say? Uh, I, I think it, it depends. I'll yeah. just say that, you know, it depends okay. on where the person is at in the run. I mean, I find that most people with what they think is easy to start a run and then you look at their file and they're like, yeah, I got faster as I went. And I'm like, no, you got slower. And they're like, but it felt easy at first. And yeah. so it's about, you know, in the beginning of a run, that's a great time to use that GPS or that pace watch and hold yourself back. Say, say that your normal easy run pace is 930 per mile. Well, you're going to make sure those, that first mile is like 945 to 10 minutes and, and use, like keep staring at that watch and be like, this is truly easy. My GPS is telling me that this is an easy pace rather than relying on, well, it feels easy. Well, sure it does. You're fresh and you yeah. Know, you're yeah. excited to run. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, okay. Uh, Melissa has been training for heart rate for three years. Um, and now with her zones, her caps are higher than her previous heart rate cap, which is definitely awesome. Except now sometimes she has a hard time pushing herself out of zone one into zone two. Yeah. Um, she's feeling lazy because what used to be easy is now way too easy by these new standards and all runs require a bit more push to spend in zone two. Um, that's, that's normal. That's normal. So how much time should I be in zone two? Do I just need to woman up and work harder to run faster? I think I've become complacent. Um, but I'm also happy about my improvements and maybe I just answered my own question. So, um, yeah, yeah I mean, our previous heart rate program is, is probably a lot of, you know, had a pretty strong cap of 140 period to keep it easy. Right. So this is going to be a different adjustment if you're coming from that. So yeah, talk about Cause that zone two, it's not necessarily easy, easy. It, it, there's a little sweat. It's about not. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the first thing I would say is um, if, if she's just going out there to do an easy run in zones one and two, there is no need for her to push into zone two. If she's in zone one and it feels easy, great. Stay okay. there. Don't worry about it. But if it's a run where it's, it's like a, a negative split or a, a, a fast finish, a progression run and you know, it requires you to get into zone two, especially if you're training for a marathon, like you want to start to get into zone two, then yes, it's time to start pushing yourself there. The problem with always running in zone one, even if it's easy, is because your form is a little different when you're running easy. It's a little bit slower turnover and it's not teaching you to start to activate those, the, the muscles and the coordination to go faster. And so that's probably where she's struggling is it's like, it's kind of work to get into zone two and her body hasn't quite coordinated it yet. So it takes more focus and more energy. So I would say that, you know, on her easy days, fine, stay in zone one, but make sure that when a, a run calls for like zones one and two, and it's not just an E run, you know, start to get into zone two start to like get used to that, that form and that feeling of being in zone two. Awesome. Um, and Rebecca, thank you um, for for validating you having a hard time staying in zones. She said, that's me. I feel that. I was just pulling up the chat. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Here's another question for you. Um, a couple people, because it is July and August, are headed on vacations. They're going to go see the the sites of the United States or, or international. Um, so Meredith wants to hear input on how to prioritize runs if you know you can't get them all in. Um, she's got an almost two-week vacation coming up. And thinking about how much to get, how to get in as much as possible, but not, but not sure which ones are absolute must-dos from a fitness standpoint, and which ones are more expendable, if that makes sense. So, yes. I'm headed out to see the sites in Washington, D.C. What am I doing to make sure that I 
you know, can come back and, and jump back in pretty seamlessly. Okay. First of all, staying consistent. Okay. So, so think in terms first of consistency because you can string along the fitness you have as long as you stay consistent. And what do I mean by consistent? If you have time for a 20 to 30 minute run four times a week while you're on vacation, that's better than going out and doing two runs that are one hour. Okay. So, so first think in terms of that, can I get up a little bit earlier, go to the hotel gym and sneak in 20 to 30 minutes on the treadmill? I, I, I would, I would do that four times a week. Um, if you have more time, which workouts should you get in? Get in the higher intensity one. I would get in one that's higher intensity and the others, it's kind of like whatever you have time for, but I wouldn't just be like, I'm going on vacation and I have time to do one high intensity run. You'll probably get injured. You, you know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. it's better just to keep the consistency and the rhythm of a routine. If you have time to get in that one intensity run, great, but the others can be just easy. Um, the long run, if, if you're doing a lot of walking on your vacation, you can kind of think of, you know, like, well, I have time for a one hour run, but I'm supposed to run two hours. But if you're going to get out and do some hiking or walking for sightseeing for another hour, that's fine. Don't stress about the long run. Um, but just try to stay consistent overall four times a week is what okay. I would say. And what about stuff like um, strength or, um, I mean, I guess cross training isn't, isn't as important, but I mean, is it important to keep up that strength or can that kind of have a pass for a week or two? I would. I mean, even if you have time for like 15 minutes of doing tricep dips and push-ups and lunges in your hotel room, um, I, yeah. I think that there's a benefit to that. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, and, and it's really nice, I got to say, to get up. Um, if you are in a new city and get up and see the city before it, or yes. see how it kind of comes to life, there's, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a drag to get up early. I won't admit, I, you know, I will admit that, but, but once you do it, it's really kind of magical. Um, and you get to see it in a different way before the hordes come out. Right. Yes. I totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, okay. And then let's talk a little bit about, um, Heather had a comment about, you know, um, have going out for three runs. She had a tempo run and then a negative split and then intervals. And she was feeling nervous and, and intimidated um, a little bit by the workouts and a little bit about July. Um, but she said, I got two of the three are now done and I'm feeling great. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you approach a tough workout, whether it's, you know, it's the weather is going to be harder or the the demand, the physical demands are going to be harder um, and, and what you recommend your athletes to do when they're like, oh, I'm staring down this workout and I'm, you know, the stress is fine. Everything is fine. It's just more kind of a little anxious dread that's building up. Yeah. I mean, first control your controllables. So everything going into that workout, just line it up so that you're setting yourself up for success within the workout. Okay. That's, that's the easiest thing to do. Control okay. those controllables. Then once you're in that workout, I, I like to tell people, just stay open to the possibility of, of what happens in that workout. So, so stay open to this possibility that you could have an awesome workout, you know, versus worrying about your paces and all this, just kind of stay open-minded. Um, and then take it one interval at a time, you know, so, so just do the first interval check in. How did, how do I feel? How did it go? And then progress to the next one. So just like, just like you, when you're running a marathon, you don't get to the start line and think, Oh, like I have to run 26 miles. You think I have to run one mile, 26 times, aid station to aid station. And I'm just going to take it one mile. Cause if you look at the whole big picture, you it's way too overwhelming. So just break it down in these smaller chunks, 
pat yourself on the back after each interval that you do or each hard part of that workout that you do, and then just move on from there. You have a bad interval, fine. Forget it, move on to the next one and try your best in that one. If you get like, let's say 15 to 25 minutes into the workout and it's just going bad, shut it down. That's fine. You tried. There's, there's like a lot of good stuff in just trying. Um, just go run easy. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. One bad workout doesn't undo all of the great stuff you've done. It doesn't mean anything about your potential. You know, just, just you, you tried and, and just move on. I agree. I agree. And I will say this is my own little uh, experiment of one. And I'm wondering if you have the same experience. When I'm doing intervals, I often find that the first is so much harder than the following ones after that. Like I, I'm oh, like, yeah. oh my God, this is so much hard. I can't do seven more of these. Then all of a sudden, number two, three, and four feel easier. They get harder as, as obviously you expend the physical energy. But there's something about that first one that just yeah. you, your body's like, whoa, what's going on? Even though you're warmed up and ready to go. So I never judge that first interval. You, or I try not to. Yeah. So in, in swimming, the magic number is always by the third interval, you start to feel better, you know? So, okay. so whether you're doing like hundreds or fifties, you know, the first two oh, feels terrible, but then yeah. by you, by the time you get to that third one, you, you found your rhythm and you found your stride and running. So, so just, yeah, yeah settle into it and don't, don't judge the whole workout based on how you feel early on. Awesome. Awesome. Um, okay, well, so I've gone through all the questions that I pulled off the Facebook page. I want to talk a little bit about fueling, but if there's anyone else here, we've got a, a nice crowd here. So if you guys have questions about your race, about your training, about vacation, about an injury, whatever. I mean, Liz is awesome with injuries. Um, not that you bring them <laughs> on, but you're very good at diagnosing them and helping people pull out of them in a non, in a very, um, you know, in a non-medical way, meaning, you know, it's, layman's terms, right? It's, it's very approachable and accessible and helpful is, is what I'm trying to say in way too many words as I stumble over myself. Um, but um, this, you know, this came up a little bit on the page. It's in, it's in, I know it's in week nine of the marathon newsletters and I know it's in the half marathon newsletters and the 10K newsletters. I'm just not entirely sure what week it is exactly, but we give out um, some really nice fueling guidelines and I want you to just kind of review them a little bit um, so that people have them in mind, especially as they head out for their long runs and during these these hot months. So um, talk about a little bit, let's talk first about like calories. How many calories are we looking for in an hour and when are we getting them? Okay. So I like to see people fueling for any run that is 75 minutes or longer. If, okay. if you're doing something shorter than that, as long as you're eating properly throughout the day, uh, and, and before a workout, so as long as you're waking up, eating something, and then going into your run, you should have enough energy on board for that run, okay? But when you start to get over 75 minutes, so at any given time, we have about 90 minutes worth of energy on board. So 75 minutes or longer, it requires some sort of fuel plan. Um, I like to see people take in 150 to 250 calories per hour. Um, best delivered by way of sports food. Um, sports food is, is basically like sports-specific candy. It's, it's various forms of sugar that are meant to be digested as you're doing work. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk out there about real food and natural food. It, do that in your daily life. The place to do that is not necessarily in sports when you're putting your body under all these demands and you're also saying, hey, digest me. So it needs to be something that's easily digestible. I like to stick with brands that have a lot of science behind them. So you're looking at brands like Gatorade, Power Bar, Goo, Cliff, but they're 
is a plethora of, of different brands out there. If you're more natural, you can do stuff like Humagels or um, there's a new brand out there called Morton. Um, Martin. Um, so, so there's a lot of different things out there. Go to your local running store, buy a few different drought gels, try them out, different flavors, different brands, different consistencies, see which one you like best and which one sits best um, at 150 to 250 calories per hour. Or there's a lot of research that says you want to take in 15 grams of carbohydrate every 15 minutes. So that's something like two cliff blocks um, or like half of a, half of a gel every 15 minutes. Um, when you're fueling, more often is better. So ideally, you have just a steady state of energy flowing. And when you fuel, let's say you're into your run and you get to like mile two, which is let's say 20 minutes, and then you wait until the hour mark to fuel again, well, your blood sugar has done this. It's gone up and then it goes way down. And so by the time you get to that 16-minute mark, maybe you're not feeling as good. So it's better to kind of fuel on a more frequent basis. So every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes, um, you could stretch it out to every 30 minutes. Um, but ideally, you're starting that fueling early in your run. Now, the reason is it takes about 30 minutes to hit you. So you don't want to say, okay, I, I did my 90-minute run and I took my first gel at 60 minutes. Well, at that point, you're just fueling your walk home or something. You know. So we want to start by 15 minutes into the run, by mile two of the run, 20 minutes, you've taken your first gel or your first hit of, let's say, 100 calories, and you're going to do that every 30 minutes from there. Again, trying to get in 150 to 250 calories per hour, okay? Um, important thing about when you're fueling is you need to wash that sports food down with water. Uh, so, so making sure you have your hydration pack, your camelback, your handheld bottle, you're making stops at a water fountain. So um, people will often say, well, I, I can't do gels. They upset my stomach. And then you ask them what they're drinking and they don't drink. Well, if you put that sugar in your stomach and you don't have water in there to help it digest, it's going to create all kinds of stomach upset. So making sure good hydration goes along with your fueling strategy is really important for it to work well. Yeah. And we're taking, um, again, I did, I did this uh, with, with Jenny a couple of couple hours ago about triathlon and she was very adamant about taking water on your runs right now, regardless of, you know, whether yeah. you're going for half an hour or two and a half hours um, yeah. because of the, the weather conditions, right? A absolutely. You know, just, just a quick side, side thing on hydration, you know, when it's this hot outside, especially, gosh, I coach people in Texas. It's like, they are never ahead of the hydration game. They're always behind because it's so hot and humid there, you know, in your daily life, you should be hydrating so that every three hours you're going to the bathroom, your urine is like pale yellow. Okay. So um, whether you're drinking water or, or, or some type of like low calorie beverage, um, whatever it takes just to get those fluids in. So you're optimally hydrated throughout the day in your runs. Like Jenny said, any run that's over 15 minutes, you should have your hydration along with you and you should be getting through at this time of year, it wouldn't be unusual to get through 24 to 48 ounces of fluids. Think about it. That's a lot of hydration, you know, so you have to practice. So what I like to do when I run is, and I find waiting every mile is too long. So I like to go every five minutes and you've got to watch on your wrist where you can just look and get in that habit of every five minutes, I'm taking a big gulp of my, my water bottle. Um, 
And if you're going out there for a long run, I mean, it's some responsibility on you. You have to either make loops back to your car, back to your house. Um, I like to, I run at a forest preserve. So I run out to where I know there's a water fountain, gets me to that halfway point. I refill my bottles and then I run back. But, you know, you have to make sure that, that you're able to replenish your hydration supply when you're out there. So 24 to 48 ounces per hour. Um, if you really want to get scientific, you can weigh yourself before and after a run. Keep track of how much you've drank throughout that run. And then you can go online and figure out what is your sweat rate? What are your fluid needs on that day in those conditions at that effort level? Sweet. So there's a couple questions that have come up. First of all, we have to this comment. Uh, I love it. Anne says her son calls her running gels and things her running candy. It is your running yes, candy. Yes, it is. It's mom's special candy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love like the cliff blocks. They're like yeah. gummy candy. And that gives me my candy fix. Like I'm so excited to go ride my bike because I, I eat those cliff blocks and it's like eating candy. So find yeah. something you like. There's a lot of products out there. Absolutely. Um, okay, Ruth is Ruth Ann is asking, how much water should you consume when you when you use a gel? Is it just a sip? Is it a certain amount? I mean, are you just enough just, to wash it down? Yeah, wash it down with a with a big gulp of water. Okay. Um, and then Rebecca has two questions. She says, I have a hard time taking an entire gel at once, and usually do about half. Yeah. Is that enough? Um, like, so you just talked about so it would be half maybe at fifteen minutes, and then yep. I mean, again, we're looking for average of 200 calories an hour, right? So right. And most gels have 100 calories. So as long as she does her first half at 15 and then the next at 30, and then she's opening up a new gel for the 45 and the 60 minute marks, that should yeah. be fine. You're just going to be a sticky mess by the end, well, Rebecca, but that's okay. Yeah, but they, they also make, um, years ago, Fuel Belt used to make them. They're gel flasks. And and oh, some yeah. of them come like you can hold them. They come like as a handheld thing. So she could, before her run, dump her gels into this flask, take a Sharpie, mark off where each gel stops and starts. Sure. So she knows, you know, how much do I need to take? Or she could just take a hit every 10 minutes and just get through that bottle in an hour. There's ways sure. to work around it. Yeah, no, that's a really good suggestion, especially pulling out the Sharpie. Everyone loves the Sharpie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and then she also has a hard time taking in as much water on a run as, it, as is recommended. It ends up yeah. sloshing around in my stomach and makes me uncomfortable. Any suggestions on how to deal with that? Uh, smaller sips more frequently, so you're not taking in a lot of air. Okay. Um, make sure that your pace in general is controlled. So anytime we're working harder than we should, you're going to have all sorts of sloshing and digestion problems. So just making sure that she's working at the appropriate effort level and just keep training it. So, you know, dietitians will say the gut is a muscle like any other muscle in your body. Like you train your calves to handle running. Well, you have to train your gut or your stomach to process and absorb the, what you're taking in. So, so just keep working at it. Sure, sure. Um, so Anne is looking for less sweet ideas for her running candy um, on the run, or does that defeat the purpose? So I mean, are there any flavors or brands or things that you, for people who are not necessarily always into chocolate and vanilla yeah. and that kind of thing? Um, I would say look to the Goo products. So Goo, G-U. They, I believe, have come up in years past with things like pizza flavored goos or gels and 
salted peanut butter. You know, there's, there's a lot of like, go online and take a look. There's a lot of goo tends to have the more creative flavors out there. Yeah. They have a new one called happy trails, which yes, um, yes, it's, it's, it doesn't taste, I mean, it, it doesn't have a beer flavor to it, but it's got, it's more of a savory flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is some of the plains. I, I tend to veer towards vanilla and plain. Um, I like to, so that's another way to, you know, it's not as exciting as, you know, raspberry cliff blocks or whatever. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's nice and kind of safe, but yeah, you can definitely, um, check out things like that. Yeah. And I would just kind of spend some time, you know, make it a procrastination technique. How many savory <laughs> flavors of, of sports nutrition can you find? Um, Laura says F to C to C. Yeah. It's a nutrition company out of Canada and they have, um, just some, some non-flavored products. Um, so they would be a good one to look into as well. Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, well, good. Well, Liz, as always, you are just a great resource. Um, we very much appreciate your expertise, time, perspective, all those things. Um, I'm not seeing any other questions, so I'm going to, I, I see ahead. one from Lara here. Uh, oh. she's saying, if you are eating a bar, how much fat is too much? So um, that's a great question, a great point to bring up. So my recommendation would be to not use bars in running. Whenever you introduce solids, they're much harder to digest. And as a dietitian once told me, they will induce the urge to poop, which we don't <laughs> want to do when we run. So, and, and that's because of, of what she brought up there. They have more fat and fat is hard to digest and makes you want to poop. So if you can stick to more of the semi-solids like gels, um, or the blocks or the gummies, those are a little bit easier on the stomach. Now, for people out there who, who can't do any of that, you probably want to stick to the sports drink, okay, and get your calories from sports drink, which is a little tricky because then you're out there, you got to carry your own sports drink, and, and then you have to make sure you're not drinking too much sports drink because you're thirsty. So, you know, you kind of have to carry some sports drink and some water. So it's a little trickier, not impossible. Um, but if you do have more digestion problems, you probably want to stick to getting your calories from sports drink. But again, with the bars or the more solid stuff, I would shy away from that if possible. That's a good point for sure. Um, hammer gels uh, don't taste as sweet. That's a suggestion from um, Rebecca. And Janice is asking, can we watch this later? Yes. Um, I'm going to save this as a video. And then we also turn it into a podcast. Um, if you look under your regular podcast channels like iTunes and Stitcher and that kind of thing, if you search for the train like a mother club, there are some previous podcasts with, with Liz and Jen that you can listen to that are very similar to this, but just different questions. Still very fun and advice filled. Um, and then this one will be up within about 48 hours. So, um, so you can either watch or listen depending upon what works best for you. Um, Courtney's question is, um, I have a question heading into my second heart rate test. What is a reasonable improvement? <laughs> I am super type A and want to do it quote unquote right. I run high. My average from last time was 189, but my resting heart rate is 50. Okay. Um, good question, Courtney. Um, and just for everyone to remember out there that, you know, that, that average heart rate number, whether it's 149 or 189, means nothing other than you are who you are and built the way you're built. Um, so so what, what seems high is just you. Um, and as far as, you know, what would be a reasonable improvement? So what we're looking for in the heart rate tests, tests is that you should be getting faster, right? I mean, the goal is, is to get faster overall, but faster might look like different things. So it might mean that at the same heart rate, 
you're going a faster pace. It might mean that you're going the same pace at a lower heart rate. So there's a few, there's no like one size fits all answer here. It just kind of depends. Um, and so if, if you want to take, take your heart rate test and if you have, if you want us to analyze it, say, Hey, okay, these were my first set of numbers and here's my second set of numbers. Tell me what happened here. Jen and I are always happy to do that for you. Just post your results or you can email us, do it on the Facebook page or email us. Um, and we can help you figure out like what kind of improvement did you actually make? Okay. But you know, to answer your question, you're either going to run faster um, or you're going to have a lower heart rate at the same pace. Yeah. And, and that, and I think that it's important. I mean, I just want to emphasize that coming in as somebody who's not um, as experienced of a coach as you is, I think sometimes we're looking for, like she said, she's super type A, she wants to do it right. And there are so many ways to see improvement. Yeah. And what you see now, um, it, this has happened a number of times in all the different programs, the number that you see now because of the weather, and we're going to talk about this in a second, um, might have a different effect. The other thing is um, your technology. We've seen a lot of not misses, I would say, but you know, um, you start with a risk-based technology, the optical heart rate, and then realize that it's not as accurate as you wanted it to be. So then the next one is going to be with a chest strap and that's going to make a difference. Right. So there's just a lot of, it's not, it's, you know, we want it to be cut and dry because so much of running is cut and dry. Um, but again, I really encourage you if you want to, you know, find some wins in your heart rate, um, tests from week to week, definitely, um, post them on the pages because Jen and Liz are, will help you decode it. Um, it's not yeah. just, oh, my heart rate went down or I got, you know, two seconds faster or whatever it happens to be. So, um, okay. So, and so here's another question from Anne. Um, what week should you start to see improvement with the high humidity? Should I wait until lower humidity days to measure improvement? So um, again, this is probably a case by case basis, but can you talk a little bit about it generally, Liz? Sure. I would say by week six to eight, you should start seeing improvement. Uh, even if it's, even if it's hot and humid out, you know, you, you should be acclimating at that point and you should see some, some improvement. Um, as far as like retesting, it, it actually wouldn't matter the temperature or the humidity, as long as the conditions were the same from your first test to your second test. So if you tested on a day when it was 90 degrees and 90% humidity, just test again on that same type of day and, and you should see some type of change or progress if about six to eight weeks has gone by. Four weeks might be a little too soon unless you're really new to heart rate training. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Um, cool. Well, I, th- I think that's it. Any more questions? This is like, uh, you know, when they, uh, the doctors have that, um, <laughs> not that phenomenon where you're like, oh, everything's good. And then they're, they have their hand on the door, you know, to go out. And then all of a sudden you answer the, the ask the big question. <laughs> that's it. But that's just that made me think about that with the flood of questions at the very end. Um, great. Well, thanks, you guys. You are all doing awesome. I mean, I think it's a win to stay consistent in July and August. And then come September, October, you guys are going to reap the benefits of all your hard work and your diligence and consistency. So, um, so hang in there and, and keep cheering each other on. And and asking all the good questions to coaches. Thanks everyone. Thanks again, Liz. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. bye.